So my name is Lindsay O'Dell. For anybody that doesn't know, I'm an elder here at Christ Church Rollsville, and I'm a huge sports fan, unabashed. I don't care what it is. I will watch it. You, it's underwater basket weaving. I will turn it on and watch it the whole time. Um, I like any competition. And for this weekend, this has been a huge sports weekend. You've got the NFL draft. You've got NHL postseason. You've got NBA postseason. We're a month into the baseball season. You had the Kentucky Derby yesterday. You had the boxing match last night. Uh, today, NASCAR is running on its longest track in the circuit. Um, any sport, you name it, I'm all over it. And this is a huge sports weekend, but the highlight has got to be Friday night, next-level basketball game. Eden Baylock sinking the game-winning buzzer-beater shot, three-point shot from like 25 feet out. Fantastic. That's what sports fans live for. <laughs> Other than that sort of an ending, what I love about sports is a unique aspect in this, the, the umpire or the referee. They're... They're small people amongst these, in professional sports, they're just, they're freaks of nature, quite honestly. These guys are just huge. They're enormous, and they're incredibly talented. Guys that weigh 300 pounds shouldn't be able to run a 4 or 540, but they do. But they're managed, they're controlled by these very diminutive people that have all authority. These referees are grace under pressure. When, and when they make a questionable call, they get these huge, enormous freaks of nature in their face, and they're yelling, and baseball's the best. I used to always make fun of it. Turn, the manager turns the hat around, and he's kicking the dirt at the ump, and he's picking up the bases, and he's throwing them. And the umpire just stands there, and he takes it, as if to say, what I have said goes. It's as simple as that. You can argue all you want, but you never see in any sort of a game, you never see the umpire go, hey, you know... You make a good point. I didn't, didn't actually see it that way, but now that you mention it, you're right, it was a strike, not a ball. Sorry, let's, let's change that. You don't see that. You see an umpire stand up and say, this is the call. You can argue it all you want. You can get in my face, and I'm not backing down. We sort of see that in Psalm 19. God is declaring through creation, through his word, through us, he is declaring his glory. And you can't refute that. He makes a declaration, and there is no argument. So turn to Psalm 19, if you haven't already. And David has split this up into three sections, and I'm going to follow these same three sections. And God is making this declaration before us. We have no argument, and, and we have to respond to it. We'll look at it in three sections today. God declaring his glory through his creation. God declares his glory through his word. And lastly, God declares his glory through his servants. And before we move much further, I want to define this word glory. It's a, it's, a, it's a description of the totality of God's character. You could, you could make a mistake by, by overemphasizing maybe his sovereignty. He is sovereign, but that's not all that God is. You could make an overemphasis of his mercy or his grace or his love. And he is grace, mercy, love. But you can't that's not all God is. He is, the, he is much more than that. You could emphasize his beauty, but that's not all that God is. And so when you talk about God's glory, it's the totality of God's character. It is God's worth. It is God's weight. And so that is what he is declaring this morning. So I'm going to read Psalm 19, if you would follow along with me. Starting with verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. 
The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. Verse 6, it rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Verse 13, keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That is the inspired, infallible, and inerrant word of God. May he use it to change our hearts. Join with me and let's pray to that end. Precious Heavenly Father, you have given us your mighty word. And I pray that our eyes would be opened. I pray that you would cause our hearts to be fertile soil that the seeds that are planted would grow deep root and produce much fruit, Father. Open our ears, our hearts, our souls. Speak to us. Give us a new vision of of you and your glory this morning, Father. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. As many of you know, I'm a visual learner. I like seeing things, and so I have, in very Lindsay fashion, have created a PowerPoint today. Um... We're going to start with this first point in that God declares his glory through his creation. I'm going to reread one through six because this is the section that deals with this. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. We take this verse by verse, looking right down at verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. God's creation is active. Uh, we, con- we frequently need this reminder. Creation doesn't sit idle. It is constantly declaring. It is proclaiming God's glory. Verse 2, it is constant. God's glory does not stop. And so neither does his creation stop. It is day after day, night after night. It is constantly displaying God's glory, declaring that he is glorious. If you look at 3 and, and the beginning of 4, there are different translations here. My, ter- my translation in NIV here talks about how it gives this implica- implica- implication, implication that there is this inescapable speech. 
Everyone understands. Nobody says, well, I, I didn't understand it. I didn't get it. It says, there's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Reminds me of Romans 1.20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Another translation uh, in the ESV, some of the King James, it, it talks more about a, a, a wordless speech. There are no, no audible words that go out. Uh, it says they have no speech. There are no words. No sound is heard from them. This sort of this wordless speech that goes out. Um, I'm going to use both. I like both interpretations, that, there is, that they are this, this inescapable. God's creation is inescapable, and God's creation is wordless. There, you don't hear words from the sun. You don't hear words from the tree, but it is declaring God's glory. If you move to verse 4 through 6, the end part of this, he introduces a specific part of creation. He introduces the sun to us, and he, and, and he highlights different aspects. There's a bridegroom. And so God's creation is beautiful. He talks about how it is like a champion rejoicing to run its course. And so he's highlighting that God's creation is strong. And here's a beautiful picture here. Nothing is hidden from its heat. You can't escape it. It is, it is penetrating. Creation is penetrating. So why pick the sun? Why highlight one aspect of creation. Why pick the sun? Well, it's like God. Certainly God is beautiful and strong and penetrating, but this beautiful, strong, penetrating thing is controlled by God. You have no control over the sun. The sun just rises by itself in the morning. You don't control it. You can't escape it. Even in the, if we know this in North Carolina, when it gets really hot in the summertime, there's no escaping that heat. You can try and get in the shade, but it's still awfully hot there. It's, it, creation is constantly declaring God's glory. So God declares his glory through all of his creation. The question is, do you recognize this declaration? Sometimes we do. Sometimes there's that time that you take that family vacation to the mountains, and you're, you're hiking around, and you get that, the break in the trees of the mountain, and you can see the sun setting, and you can see forever, and it's the skies, that beautiful orange, pink, magenta hue, and it's just beautiful, and you think, oh, wow, this is amazing. God is so cool that he would create this. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we recognize that, but do we discipline ourselves to recognize that more often? I was challenged many years ago to do that more often. And so frequently, when I leave in the morning, I will stop before I get in my car and look up at the sky. Take an opportunity to recognize this declaration that, the, that, the, that God's creation is, 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 is shouting at you with this wordless speech. It is pouring forth speech, displaying knowledge. It's got a voice, and it's going out, and it's declaring God's glory. There's also a, an aspect of the discipline of silence and solitude, a spiritual discipline of sitting quiet and listening. I went to a sixth grade outdoor education one time, and the, I remember the teacher asking us to sit quietly, which is difficult for sixth graders, especially sixth grade boys, but to sit and listen. And we had a pad of paper and a pencil, and we had to write down all the sounds that we heard. 
And I remember starting and thinking, I don't hear anything. But the longer you have to sit there in silence and listen, there's leaves rustling. There's a squirrel running down a tree. There's wind. There's a branch cracking. There's so many things. Do we take that opportunity? That's why it's a spiritual discipline of taking that time to recognize God's creation, declaring his glory to us. Do we take that time? Do we recognize this declaration? Here's a couple of things to inspire you in God's creation. Uh, Isaiah 40.12 says that God measures the water of, of the world in the palm of his hand. I'm a pretty big guy. I don't have incredibly large hands, but I've tested it. I can, I can hold two tablespoons in my hand, which is not much. You've got to kind of tilt it just right and hold it just right. Two tablespoons. If God is measuring all of the waters of the world in the hollow of his hand, according to Google, which you can't put anything on the web that's not true, right? According to Google, all of the water in the world, there are 83 sextillion tablespoons in all of the world. That's an 83 with 21 zeros behind it. That is what God can hold in his hand. I can hold two. That's the difference between what God is declaring, what creation is declaring of God's glory, and what we are. We are, we are very small, and it sh- we should recognize that as, as, as God's creation is declaring to us Here's one more. If this sheet of paper, not its height or its width, but its thickness, its thickness, is representative of 93 million miles, that's the distance from the earth on this side to the sun on this side, the nearest star from the earth, which is on this side of paper, is 71 feet. It's about the back of that room. So we are a small speck on a very small fleck on this side of the paper. And the nearest star is way back there. The diameter of the galaxy, if it started on this side of the paper, would be about Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. That's the, that's the diameter of this galaxy. And there are many of galaxies out there. That's how, we, that's how small we are. We're a little breath on a fleck on this side of the paper and the other end of the galaxy is way up in Philly. Last one, the edge of the known universe. If we are on this side, the other end of the known universe is around Venus somewhere. That's enormous. That's just what we know. There are stars that God has created that we haven't even seen yet. And yet those stars are declaring God's glory day after day and night after night. Just blow your mind when you start thinking about how huge God is, how, this, how immense this is. And this, all of this creation is declaring his glory. So God's declaration of his glory through his creation is active, constant, inescapable, wordless. It's beautiful, it's strong and penetrating. That's God declaring his glory through his creation. Now let's look at God declaring his glory through his word. We'll look at verses 7 through 11 here. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. 
The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold, and are sweeter than honey, even honey from the comb. By them your servant is warned, in keeping them there is great reward. You can definitely see a pattern here, and I, I, you can see the songwriter in David coming out here, and I, I like order, I like rows, I like columns, I like patterns. There's clearly a pattern here, and so this morning we're going to go to English class, much to the chagrin of any young male. We're going to go to English class because there's clearly a, a pattern set up here. And we're, This morning we're going to look at nouns and the adjectives and the verbs contained in 7 through 11. Start with the, the nouns. He talks about God's law, uh, a comprehensive term for God's revealed will, the statutes or, or testimony, the absolute truth as attested by God himself. Talks about how the commands of the Lord, commands of the Lord, the, that's the authority with which God addresses us. The fear of the Lord describes the, our, our human response brought about by his word. The ordinances or the decrees of the Lord. These are God's judicial decisions about the various human situations. And the pronoun in 11, they, incorporates all of this. The law, the statutes, the precepts, the commands, the fears, the ordinances. They're all synonyms for God's word. It is all of scripture. It is this entire book described. God's word is his revealed will. This is not just a book that's got a lot of neat stories in it. It's not a a book that is a, a, a textbook, a science book. It's a fun thing to read at bedtime. It is God revealing himself to us. It is a revelation of God's character. And these are some synonyms for that. We look at the adjectives. What, what, what are these things declaring? That it, God's law is perfect, flawless. His statutes are trustworthy, meaning they're firm, or better yet, they're, they're, they're tested and proved to be firm. That's what this, this word trustworthy means. It's been tested, tried and true. His precepts are right, morally straight. His commands are radiant, glowing. If you look back at verse 6, it said nothing is hidden from its heat. That's this, this radiance that God's commands are. The fear of the Lord is pure, as unblemished. Sure. His ordinances are sure. Dependable. And lastly, they are precious or, or, or valuable to us. All of these things, the law, the precepts, his, his statutes, his commands are valuable and they are sweet, they are pleasant to us. And what do they do? The first four of what Scripture does for us, if we look at these verbs, they, it revives, it makes wise, it gives joy, and it gives light. That's what, that's what God's Word is doing for us. Reviving, making wise, it gives joy, it gives light. The next two described here, it endures, and it, it, it makes right. 
It's a description of, the, of God's word itself, not necessarily what, what it does for us, but what God's word is. And the last two, again, are what God's word can do for us. It, it warns us, and it rewards us. So this is a big list of 7 through 11 here. A lot of things going on in 7 through 11, a lot of different descriptions of God's word, a lot of different descriptions of God himself as he reveals himself through his laws and his commands and his precepts. Do we have a high view of God's word? Do you have a high view of God's word? God's word, when compared or contrasted, brought alongside God's creation, God's word is meant to, like creation, evoke this admiration and awe in us. When we see that sunset or that majestic view, we instantly, we know God has ingrained it in our bodies to say, wow, that is incredible. Look at that view, this mountain, this majestic, this ocean that stretches that you can't see the end of. When I walk out in the morning and I look up in the sky, I think to myself sometimes, how far am I looking? Am I looking a mile? Am I looking 10,000 miles? I don't know. There is no end to it, and it inspires me. It gives me this, I am in awe of that. When I read God's word, do I have that same awe? I should, according to Psalm 19, according to what David is trying to proclaim to us. It's creation evokes an admiration and awe. Do we have that high view of God's word? Do we have an admiration and awe for Scripture? Do you make time for it? Do you make time for God's word? If not, why not? Look what it does. It revives, it makes wise, it gives joy, it gives light, it is enduring. It makes us right, it warns, it rewards. Why wouldn't we take time for this? Look at what God's word does for us. So God's declaration of his glory through his creation is active, constant, inescapable, wordless, beautiful, strong, and penetrating. God's declaration of his glory through his word is perfect, trustworthy, right, radiant, pure, sure, precious, and sweet. That is God's declaration to us of his glory, of who he is. How do we respond to that? What do we do with this? This is a lot of stuff. This is a lot of declaration of God's glory. What do we do with this? What is our response? Let's look at how God declares his glory through his servants We'll look through 12 through 14 for this. Starting in verse 12, who can discern his errors? Who can discern his own errors? Some uh, translations say, forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock. And my Redeemer. Last week, Peter talked for, uh, from Psalm 90. And Psalm 90 brought us face to face with our fragile, dependent existence. This week, verse 1 through 6 brings us face to face with our, our microscopic existence in God's creation. 7 through 11 brings us face to face with our impure existence in God's Word. Last week in Psalm 90, when we were brought face-to-face with our fragile and dependent existence, it helped us to understand God's righteous wrath towards our sin. This week, when we're brought face-to-face with our microscopic and impure existence, we should recognize our own sin. 
we should recognize our own sin when we are when we see God in all of his glory our 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 impurity should well up in us we see this in Isaiah 6 um, as a matter of fact let's go ahead and turn there it's a beautiful story and I want everybody to see this let's turn to Isaiah 6 um, I would normally just read through this but I want everybody to follow along with me in your Bibles Isaiah 6 it's to the right of where you are by about 150-ish pages. Um, Isaiah 6, 1 through 5. We see the same thing happen with Isaiah here. Isaiah 6, 1 through 5. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Isaiah is being brought face to face with God's glory, sitting on his throne, in his temple, in all of his majestic majesticness and all of his glory isaiah is seeing this and what is his response look in verse five woe to me i cried i am ruined i am undone in some translations for i am a man of unclean lips and i live among a people of unclean lips my eyes have seen the king the lord almighty when isaiah encounters god in the temple he recognizes his own sin instantly God, you are incredible, and I am not. You are glorious, and I am not. I am, I'm undone. I have nothing. I, I can't stand on my own. I am ruined. I, I, there's nothing I bring to this. Father, you are glorious, and I am not. I am full of sin. In verses 1 through 6 of Psalm 19, we encounter God in creation. And it is active. It is constant. It is inescapable, wordless, beautiful, strong, and penetrating. In verses 7 through 11, we encounter God in his word. And it is perfect, trustworthy, right, radiant, pure, sure, precious, and sweet. And then in verses 12 through 14 here, we see tells us that when we encounter God in his creation and his word, we should recognize our sin. This is, this is God declaring his glory in creation and in his word. And when we encounter God, we should recognize our own sin. When we encounter God, just like Isaiah encountered God, we should be overwhelmed with how dirty we are how impure we are. We cannot measure up to this. All of God's creation is laid out declaring his glory. Not our glory, but his glory. And we recognize our sin. All of God's word is laid out declaring his glory. Not our goodness, not the things that we bring. As Hebrews 12 tells us, we, are, we have nothing. We recognize our sin. And all of these sins, if you look at verse at verse uh, 12, who can discern his own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. There are these hidden sins that we like. There are sins that we don't like to talk about, and there are sins that we don't even know about. My mom should say, ignorance is no excuse for the law. 
And if, you, if it plays out, typically you'd say, well, I didn't know that was wrong. When you're driving, if you happen to drive through a red light and get pulled over, you can't argue with the policeman. You say, oh, I didn't know it was illegal to drive through a red light. I'm sorry, son. It is illegal. That's the law. You can't, just because you didn't know about it doesn't mean it's, you get off. No. You drew through a red light. It's against the law. You're going to get punished. Ignorance is no excuse for the law. There are hidden sins. There are sins that we, we don't even know that we commit day after day after day. That's what David's getting at here. Forgive my hidden faults. You see God in all of his glory and creation in his word, and it should well up for us this, the recognition of our sin, even sins we don't know about. 13, he moves to willful sins. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. All of these sins are laid bare before God's glory. And in verse 13, we desire forgiveness. May they not rule over me. Psalm 19 says, Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. That's us. We, we, are, we are convicted about our sin. Are you convicted in your sin? When you view God's world, God's word, it should drive you to a conviction to seek his mercy and his grace. When God's creation, when God's word when his creation is active and constant, inescapable and wordless, beautiful, strong, and penetrating, when God's word is perfect and trustworthy and right and radiant and pure and sure and precious and sweet, we see God and we recognize our own sin, and it drives us to seek forgiveness, repentance. We, we respond with repentance and faith. This is not just a word, and I've said this before, a lot of those words that we use that describe uh, that initial transmission, that trans, uh, initial change from darkness to light, from slavery to freedom. When, a, when, a, when an unregenerate sinner becomes a regenerate sinner, part of God's word, world, part of God's family. It's not a one-time thing. Repentance and faith is not that you repented from all of the sins that you were, and now you have faith in God. It is a constant, ongoing thing. This is something that we live. We live in this. When we see now, what I want you to do is now that you see God's creation, I want you to see it in a different way. I want you to see God's creation, have it convict you of your sin, and you respond with repentance and faith. Repent of those sins that you were convicted of and live in faith in God. When you, when you read his word, his law, his statutes, his commands, I want you to read it differently. Be convicted of your sins and drive you to respond in repentance and faith. And that is David's command for us today, to respond with repentance and faith. When we come face-to-face with God's glory, we respond with repentance and faith. And that will declare God's glory to those around us, not only to yourself, but to those around. That's how God declares his glory through his servants, is when we respond with repentance and faith. And then verse 14, it's a beautiful end to this psalm. It's not... It's not that David is convicted, and so we just, it, help me not to do those sins anymore. But read these, verse 14 is so beautiful, the way this ends. It's not just avoiding sin, but it's an engage of a fitting response. His declaration to say, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, that is all, that's the mouth, it's the heart, my whole body, may everything that I do please you, Father, be pleasing in your sight. It's like Paul's command to the Romans in Uh, Chapter 12, verse 1, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship, Romans 12, 1. 
God's creation is declaring, God's word is declaring, and we should be declaring. God's creation is declaring in 1 through 6. God's word is declaring in 7 through 11, and we should be declaring in 12 through 14 that God is glorious. And he ends, look at this, the last, it's not even a sentence, it comes after the comma here. This just, it ends in such wonderfulness that, that after all of this, when, when David has come in contact, come face to face with God's glory, he's not crushed. God is not his accuser. He's not his, this impatient judge, but rather he is a rock that is a, a refuge that we run to. And he is our redeemer. We've been brought back from this sin. When we recognize our sin and we want to respond in repentance and faith, we, res- we recognize that the gospel, that is exactly what God Christ died on the cross for. That is what the gospel brings about in us, is to understand that we have been redeemed. We have been saved from these sins, and we can respond with repentance and faith. Gospel, the gospel makes creation wonderful. The gospel doesn't make creation, it's, it's not this oppressive, smothering thing. It is a wonderful thing. The gospel makes creation wonderful and not crushing. It makes God's word lovely and not just accusing So we conclude, because God has declared his glory in creation and in his word, what is our response to that? If you're a non-Christian this morning, you can tend to want to blow this off. You think, "Um, I'm good enough, Uh, I don't need any of this stuff, Uh, I haven't killed anybody, Um, I'm fine, I'm fine with where I am. But where does that leave you when you picture God's creation, are you just purposeless? When you picture God's word, do you see your imperfection in that? Do you see that you were untrustworthy, that you're wrong, that you're impure, that you're unsure? If you are not a believer this morning, don't blow this off. God's glory is all around you. And look, look at what, go all the way back to this one, look at what God's word does. It revives, it makes wise, it gives joy, it gives light, it endures, it makes right, it warns, it rewards. What in your life are you following now that does that for you? If you're a non-Christian, what, do you, what are you sinking, what are you trying to find these things in? It, it can't be anything. There's, it can't be anything that truly revives, that truly gives you joy, that gives you light. Do your current pursuits fulfill on all of those things? I'm betting you they don't. And if you're a Christian, do you recognize your sin this morning? It drives you to confession. And that's what I want you to see this morning. Is as, we, as we look at God's creation, I want you to see it with new eyes. When you look at God's word, I want you to see it with new eyes. That you recognize your own sin and it drives us to repentance and faith. Run to your refuge and your redeemer. Embrace the gospel. And live in repentance and faith. Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, you are glorious. You are mighty. You are trustworthy. You are right, radiant, pure, sure, precious, sweet, Father. Help us to keep these commands, Father. Make us aware of our sin, our hidden sins, our our public sins. 
Convict us, Lord. Wash over us. Give us new eyes. We may see you in all of your radiance and see us in our sin, Father. Bring conviction on us and help us to respond with repentance and faith. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.